This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to the Diabetes Knowledge into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. Today we're examining what the latest data tells us about selecting between second-line agents for type 2 diabetes. And we're joined by today's expert, Professor Tina Vilsbol. She's a professor at the University of Copenhagen and consultant at the Steno Diabetes Centre in Denmark. Her disclosures are available in the episode notes. So firstly, can you remind the listeners of what data has shown in the past regarding the differences in efficacy between the classes of type 2 diabetes second-line agents, firstly for HbA1c reduction? Well, first of all, it's really interesting that many papers or trials have been published in recent years comparing actually the different classes. And also within class, we have quite a few data right now. And if we look at HbA1c reduction, I must say I am still a fan of metformin as the backbone treatment, although in patients without cardiovascular complications or without being high-risk individuals for cardiovascular disease. But second-line discussions is, for me, very much a discussion between the GLP-1 receptor agonist and the SGLT2 inhibitors, and still a little bit of DPP-4 inhibitors. Because if we take the DPP-4 inhibitors first, and look at HbA1c reduction. They are indeed efficacious, uh, and it seems to be, at least to some extent, a pretty much sustained effect. But the HbA1c reduction is in the average of 05 to 0.9% reduction in HbA1c. It's there, and the major advantage is, I'll come back to that, that the, they do not have any side effects. That's the uh, um, DPP-4 inhibitors. If we talk about the SGLT2 inhibitors and the GLP-1 as a class, there are many comparative studies right now, actually, or there are not that many, but there are studies evaluating GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2s with respect to HbA1c reduction. And the short message is that they're both efficacious and they seem to have a great effect on HbA1c reduction. When we take the SGLT2 inhibitors, they decrease HbA1c, especially in patients with a normal kidney function, uh, in the average of around 1% uh, HbA1c reduction. And it, it, it is clinical relevant and sustained. Patients have glucosuria, so they lose calories and they have a beautiful effect on HbA1c reduction. If we talk about the GLP-1 receptor agonist, one thing to, is to take it as a class, but as we have now known for 100 years, insulin is a peptide. Peptides are difficult to produce, and there are indeed differences between the different GLP-1 receptor agonists. So uh, indeed, the class is interesting, especially the human once weekly GLP-1 receptor agonist or analogs that we've had the recent years. And here I'm talking about dulaclotide and semaclotide. They are very efficacious and they are more efficacious than the older one. And they are also in head-to-head trials more efficacious than most of the SGLT2 inhibitors because they dose dependently decrease HbA1c and quite a few of them above HbA1c reductions um, of 1%, actually in the average of 1.2 to 1.5%. With all three classes, and that accounts for the DPP-4, for the SGLT2, and for the GL- inhibitors and the, SG- and the GLP-1 receptor agonists, uh, the more dysregulated the patients are, 
the more pronounced effect, but very much indeed, and especially actually we've seen some data from the conferences recently with the TLP1 receptor agonist, that if you use it early in the treatment algorithm, if patients are, uh, are diet treated or with only metformin on board, they actually have a more pronounced effect. So all three classes, clinical relevant uh, effect on HbA1c reductions. And what about weight reduction? Well, the great thing about treating type 2 diabetes today is that we have modern glucose-lowering drugs. Back when I was a young doctor, SU, TCD, and insulin was correlated with a body weight increase. But we have significant effect on HbA1c reduction. And uh, with the SGLT2 inhibitors and the GLP-1 receptor agonists, we have a body weight decrease. And that is very, very important for the patients with type 2 diabetes. Because the vast majority, in general, we say around 90%, but I would say the vast majority of my patients with type 2 diabetes, they are overweight or obese. So they really benefit um, of, uh, of a weight reduction. The TPP4 inhibitors are overall weight neutral, but the SGLT2 inhibitors and the GLP1 receptor agonists, they decrease body weight. It's, been, it's being debated very much indeed. Uh, the lower doses of the GLP1 receptor agonists are pretty much uh, similar to the SGLT2 inhibitors. But um, as many know, the GLP1 receptor agonists are being developed for obesity. And that is simply due to the fact that there is a dose-dependent effect on body weight. So the more GLP-1 on board, the more pronounced effect on body weight. And right now, in type 2 diabetes, we see effects with the, SG, with the GLP-1 receptor agonist that, that is more pronounced than with the SGLT-2 inhibitors. Average 3 to 6 kilo, depending on the GLP-1 receptor agonist used. But the SGLT-2s do also induce uh, body weight. So for me... It is very much, again, in the patients without cardiovascular disease or high risk of cardiovascular disease, if you have a patient who is overweight, for me, the, the discussion is between a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor to induce HbA1c reduction, but also to induce body weight reductions. And what about adverse events? Well, in short, the huge advantage for the DPP-4 inhibitors is that they do not induce uh, any adverse events, pretty much in, sh in short. Um, and that is why we use it in elderly people uh, who are just a little bit dysregulated and if they do not have any uh, complications to their diabetes, they are good just to decrease the, the blood uh, glucose a little bit. With respect to the SGLT2 inhibitors, I must say I was worried about inducing glucosuria in my patients for, for decades, actually, or for, for quite a long time. But now we have so many great data with the SGLT2 inhibitors in respect to cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, heart failure. But that is on the cost of adverse events. Uh, they do induce um, uh, balanitis and vaginitis in 5 to 7% of the patients. But many patients actually accept this because they get a, they they find a way around it. Sometimes it's only a one treatment or on a regular basis. But due to the significant effect on HbA1c and body weight, many patients actually tolerate the SGLT2 inhibitors. But I always tell the patients about the side effects before I initiate a treatment with the SGLT2 inhibitors. With respect to the GLP-1 receptor agonist, there are also side effects or adverse events. They are mainly caused by the gastrointestinal side effects, 
5 to 10% of the patients get nausea. Again, those dependently, that's also what we see in obesity trials, that the higher you push the patient in the dose of GLP-1, the higher the risk of nausea, and also a few percent with high doses of vomiting. Some patients have diarrhea, and actually I think that an underestimated adverse event with the GLP-1 receptor agonist is constipation. Quite a few of the patients actually are challenged by that, but still they accept it, they find their way around it. It's important to drink enough fluid and you know, physical activity and so on is, is important for that. All the time I initiate a new drug, I explain the patient's mode of action, what to expect with HbA1c body weight, and also what to expect with the adverse events, because in most cases, they're mild to moderate and transient. Moving on to cardio protection, can we compare data from the various cardiovascular outcome trials for these classes? In short, I am a big fan of the CBOT or the cardiovascular outcome trials. I still remember 15 years ago when these were first planned and initiated, every pharmaceutical company was really worried about these large and expensive trials. We have learned a lot from the cardiovascular outcome trials in recent years because it is thousands of patients, actually almost 200,000 patients worldwide have been in such a trial and in many of the trials for many years. So we've learned a lot with respect to cardiovascular disease, and we've also learned a lot with respect to other adverse events. It is in general not okay to compare one uh, trial to another if if it's not within the trial that you compare the different classes. But our take home today is that TLP1 receptor agonists and the SGLT2 inhibitors, they are actually capable of changing the life story of type 2 diabetes. The mode of action, how they do it, is indeed different. Um, And we do not exactly know how they do if we combine them, because there is no cardiovascular outcome trial looking into the combination of SGLT2 inhibitor and TLP1 receptor agonist. But they do save lives, and it is mandatory that we use either SGLT2 inhibitors or GLP1 receptor agonists in patients who've had cardiovascular disease or who are at a high risk of developing cardiovascular disease. With respect to the DPP4 inhibitors, they are neutral uh, in cardiovascular outcome trials, and that is why they have been pushed in the background on, the, on behalf of the GLP1 receptor agonists and the SGLT2 inhibitors. We have learned a lot about pancreatitis, pancreas cancer, C-cell changes, but also with respect to the SGLT2 inhibitors, ketoacidosis, and so on. Uh, so today, I mean, we're pretty safe with, with these drugs being evaluated in controlled setting in the cardiovascular outcome trials. This year, we saw preliminary results presented from the GRADE study. What does this add to our evidence base around choosing between different classes of therapies? Well, the GRADE study is a UK study that was initiated uh, you could say in the old days, actually, right now, because it was initiated in, in around 2012 to 13, and that was before we had really solid data on the SGLT2 inhibitors. So the SGLT2 inhibitors are not uh, being evaluated in the GRADE study. In the GRADE study, 5,000 patients are being evaluated, and they're randomized in four different arms with DPP4 inhibitors, SU, DLP1 receptor agonists, uh, or insulin. 
What we know from the great study is that patients, they, in spite of not very long-standing disease, they are only around 57 years, uh, and they're only on a backbone of metformin. But in spite of that, they have complications, they have neuropathy, they have autonomic neuropathy, and 10% and of the patients actually have breast neuropathy. What we just saw at the conferences, it was just an advertiser because the data are actually not uh, published yet. We, I would say, pretty much as expected, uh, preference in respect to GLP-1, the GLP-1 receptor agonist used in the GREAT study was liraclotide. And in, you know, from that perspective, not much liraclotide is actually being used uh, these days because we have more powerful once-weekly GLP-1 receptor agonists. But I must say, uh, what I saw was great and pretty much as expected. And, and it accounts very much for the fact that we should use the GLP-1 receptor agonist early in the treatment. But I'm sorry that the SGLT2 inhibitors are not uh, part of the great study. So, but that's just what science is. You get one set of, of results from science and we need to do lots of more uh, research from, from here on. And can we extrapolate these results to other drugs in those classes? That's also a, a, a good uh, question. I would say Libraclotide uh, is a human uh, analog. It, it's a one daily analog. We have positive respo- uh, results from the leader trial. Uh, you can, I mean, in, in science, we do not get ex- extrapolate directly. But I must say, when we have data, what I saw at the conference is interesting data. I would just expect that with uh, the more uh, efficacious, longer acting uh, uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists that we have today with dulaclotide and, and semaclotide, I would say it's tempting to extra- extrapolate, but, but to be completely scientific, we would need to see data. And also comparing, I would so much love to see data comparing SGLT2 inhibitors and the, the modern GLP-1 uh, receptor agonist uh, in a, in a large trial as the, maybe the grade two trial. Likewise, are there particular differences within the classes for any agents that we should be aware of? Well, in short, I would say with respect to the DPP4 inhibitors, they are pretty much the same. There are small differences in respect to how they are eliminated, whether you should do those reductions and if patients have a kidney, a chronic kidney dysfunction, but they're pretty much the same. For the SGLT2 inhibitors as a class, um, we more and more data are piling up. Right now, we have some really great data on dapagliflozin, uh, where it has been evaluated in, in patients with chronic kidney disease and heart failure, and beautiful effects are being demonstrated even in patients without diabetes. You could say, what do we know about the other SGLT2 inhibitors in that aspect right now? Not much but we will in the future. Um, so, so for the SGLT2s as a class, I believe that there are indeed a, a large uh, overlap between the class, but we need to see full, full, uh, additional data to clarify it. I think it's important to remember with the SGLT2 inhibitors and chronic kidney disease and heart failure and so on, that the prescription, and that's new, does go beyond glycemic control. So, so in chronic kidney disease and heart failure, it's not the HbA1c, and that is the brand new thing that has happened the recent years, that we treat the patient with comorbidities and not that much their HbA1c. 
Finally, for the GLP-1 receptor agonist as a class, I would say that there are indeed differences between the, the, the GLP-1 receptor agonists because they are, as we've now known it for 100 years, peptides as insulin and the pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic profile is different from one peptide to another. And then the dose is also being adjusted much more than, than we, we do with the GPP-4 inhibitors and the SGLC-2 inhibitors. And what's the key takeaway for you here? Well, my take home is that being a modern diabetologist or a family doctor or a GP uh, working progressively with, uh, with diabetes treatment is difficult because we've had so many different classes the recent years. We have so many data and within each class, we even have different compounds. But, but for me, the most important thing is to be keep updated with the guidelines because actually we have great guidelines today but we just need to make sure that all the patients worldwide actually benefit from all the classes that we have and for me it doesn't matter that much which SGLT2 inhibitor or which GLP-1 receptor agonist that the doctors actually use if they just you know use them and kick out pretty much the TCDs, the SU, never use insulin first line in treatment. Use insulin to the right patient at the right time, but that is, you know, very late in the treatment algorithm for patients with type 2 diabetes. So it's difficult, it's challenging, but it's also very interesting to do modern type 2 diabetology treatment uh, anno 2021. This brings us to the end of the episode. In summary, different agents each have their own benefits and disadvantages, and so should be selected on an individualised basis depending on the patient's circumstances, goals and risk factors. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major apps, and you can stay up to date by following us on Twitter or LinkedIn, which you can find links to in the episode notes as well as to our brand new educational website where you can find lots more accredited and free CME resources. We look forward to joining you next time.